you'll be turning your Bibles this morning to 1 Kings chapter 21, it is Youth Sunday, and I appreciate all those that taught classes this morning. And uh, Brother Grayson reminded me, my daughter ca- taught his class this morning. He said, you're going to have to step up your game. He said, your daughter knocked it out of the park this morning at Sunday school. And I appreciate all the young ones that taught classes and what a privilege it is to have a church that invests in the future, gives them an opportunity to share and to grow and learn and get seasoned uh, so that when they become adults, it's not the first time they forgot to teach a lesson or share something that God's laid on their heart. And I appreciate all those that have been helping this morning. There's so much work that goes on behind the scenes uh, to make things like today possible with the breakfast and the baptism and all that stuff. Uh, so it's good to see you here this morning. First Kings 21. First Kings 21, if you'll be turning your Bibles there this morning. I want to share this thought to you this morning. This will be a little bit different message. I don't imagine that anybody will be running the aisles this morning. I don't imagine 100 people is going to come to the altar. I just want to give you a good warning from Scripture. Just a good warning from Scripture this morning on how to cultivate a royal mess. A royal mess. Anybody ever seen a royal mess somewhere? You ever walked into a family gathering and there just is a royal, a royal mess? Sometimes funerals bring out those situations. Sometimes weddings bring out those situations. It's a, it's a royal mess. Uh, Asheville traffic is bad, but a royal mess would be I-26. Trying to travel down I-26, that's a royal mess. Uh, Brother Joel, if you could hit the lights for us. My wife found this video a few weeks ago, and this is the best thing that I could find to illustrate a royal mess. I want to share this with you this morning. It's a real quick video. If you'll watch closely in this, you're going to see a young man that has a Nerf gun. He decides he wants to shoot his mama, and a royal mess ensues, okay? So just watch this video up on the screen up here. She's painting. She falls. It looks like a home alone situation. Uh, she's covered in paint. It's a, it's a royal mess. Uh, just in a heartbeat, that happened, okay? So we'll let you watch that. I mean, that turns into a mess in a hurry. Uh, if you've ever read through the Word of God, you can turn the lights back on. And you've thought to yourself, the Word of God's just a boring book. It's not. I want to share a a passage of scripture with you this morning. It has a wicked king and a wicked wife, and there's a righteous man, there's covetousness, there's a plot to kill him, there's murder, and all this takes place in one chapter here this morning. We find a man that's only mentioned once or twice in the pages of scripture, but the 15 words that he says has immortalized himself in the pages of scripture and given us a picture of a righteous man that will not compromise no matter who's around. And I pray that this morning we would realize these words that he says and the impact that he has. And I pray that we would see this morning that there's a royal mess in this chapter. And I'm going to show you how you can make a royal mess in your life and maybe some things that we should avoid this morning. 1 Kings 21, if you stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read most of the chapter, but don't worry, I'll read fast. And I'll try to share what God's laid on my heart this morning. 1 Kings 21, how to cultivate a royal mess. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. This is the only words that we find that Naboth has spoken 
15 words, and here we are thousands of years later talking about what Naboth said to Ahab. Verse 4, And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken unto him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. And Jezebel his wife came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou not now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry, and I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, and sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth on high among the people, and set two men, sons of Belial, before him, to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him, that he may die. And the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants of the city, did as Jezebel had said unto them, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. They proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. And there came in two men, children of Belial, and set before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. And they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger, and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dogs shall eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air be. And there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols according to all things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord did cast out before the children of Israel. What a royal mess. What a royal mess. I want us to see several things from the Scripture this morning. I pray that God speaks to your heart as we study this chapter together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your uh, awesomeness. God, we thank you, Lord, for what we've experienced in this place already. Thank you, Lord, for lives and families that have been touched by you in the past couple weeks. God, I thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for us, whether we're eight years old or 80 years old. God, you're a saving God, and you administer your grace, God, to those that will turn to you and repent, and we thank you for the lives that have been changed. Thank you, God, for the testimonies of the young men and women and ladies and uh, adults, God, that have been baptized this morning. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that we do have something to shout about this morning, that we can tell others about you, and I pray that you would just minister to our hearts this morning. God, help us to take these examples that you've given us in your word in the Old Testament. Speak to our hearts, God. Draw us closer to you. And God, I pray that you'd help us to heed these warnings from Scripture, God, that we would not make a royal mess of our lives. 
God, speak to us in a way that only you can. I pray that you'd move in hearts. God, help us to see you high and lifted up this morning. I pray that you'd have your hand upon this place. Remove every distraction from our hearts and minds. God, help us to focus on what you'd have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How to cultivate a royal mess. Now, I know the hour is getting away from us, uh, but we do not have church tonight, so just buckle up. I'll try to share quickly what God's laid on our heart. Number one, if you want to cultivate a royal mess in your life, the first thing that you need to do is desire the one thing that you don't have and let it consume your focus. I don't know why it is. I guess it's human nature. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden that we can have a lot. God blessed Adam and Eve and said, of all the trees that you may eat in the garden, you may freely eat them. They were good to look to. They were pleasant. They were good for fruit. And then he drew a circle around one tree and said, do not partake of this tree. And that's the very one that they were tempted to go and partake of. I guess it's human nature to ignore all that God's given us and find that one thing that we don't have and let it consume our focus. If you fast forward just a couple pages in the pages of Scripture, we find a man by the name of Achan. As he goes into Jericho, God's given the instruction. Don't, don't take anything from Jericho. The silver and the gold and the brass and the iron, they are the Lord's. If you remember, they went out to the next battle in the battle of Ai and they lost because there was an accursed thing in Israel and Achan had coveted those things. He took the one or two things that he did not have and he buried them in his tent and it cost 36 men their lives and it cost a defeat for the army of Israel and it ultimately cost him his life. If you go on down another couple pages in the scriptures, we find a man by the name of Haman, this wicked man that was in the king of Ahasuerus when Esther was queen. He's promoted in the kingdom. And if you read in the book of Esther, it says that he went home to share his glory and his splendor with his family and his friends. But he said, all this avails me nothing as long as I see Mordecai sitting in the gate and he does me no reverence. See, he had had enjoyed a promotion. He had enjoyed some wonderful things in his life, but he looked at that one thing that he didn't have and it drove him crazy. Here we find a wicked man by the name of Ahab. He's king over the land. He wears the best robes. He eats the best food. He rides in the best chariot. He enjoys all the comforts of life. He enjoys people that follow his commands and they go and do what he asks them to do. And he has anything that his heart could desire. But then he looks on this little field that Naboth's got and he desires that one thing that he doesn't have and he lets it consume his focus. If we don't watch it, we'll find that one or two things that we've always wanted but we've never had and we'll let it consume our focus. It'll it'll consume our searches online. We'll watch videos about it. We'll read about it. We'll become an expert about it. And we will desire that one thing that we don't have and it'll consume us. Ahab should have been focusing on the kingdom. He should have been focusing on what he was doing in his land. But he was focused on this one field that he coveted. And I'm afraid that Ahab did what oftentimes many of us do, whether we want to admit to it or not, is that we try to subdue a spiritual problem with a material possession. If you read at the end of chapter 20, he's enjoyed a great victory against the Syrians. They've gone in and defeated the Syrians. But at the end of chapter 20, we find a man by the name of Ben-Hadad, and he let an enemy king go. And there was a man of God that came to him and said, you've let go a man whom I've appointed to destruction. And the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 20 that Ahab went home heavy and displeased. That's interesting because if you look down in chapter 21, verse 4, Ahab's coming home again heavy and displeased. He's got an attitude problem. He's going home, he's angry, he's sad, he's rebellious because of this one thing that he can't have. He's trying to subdue this conviction that's in his heart. The man of God has come to him and says, you've messed up, your life is going to go for his life. You've let go a man who I've appointed to destruction. So Ahab in his heart probably thought, you know what I need? I just need something new. 
you ever got into a place where you just desired something new, you've got a lot going on in your life and you think, well, if I get that new dress, that new suit, that new gun, that new car, if we can go on a fancy vacation, then it'll subdue some of the chaos that's going on inside of my life. And you've got to focus on that one thing that you don't have. Let it consume you. That's what happened in the life of Ahab. If you want to cultivate a royal mess, just find that one thing that you don't have. Let it consume your focus. You, well, you may be sitting here this morning, Pastor Jason, I don't have one thing. That's correct. You probably have two or three or four. And you think if I can get that promotion at work, if I can make $100,000 a year or more, whatever the figure is in your mind, then I'll be happy. If I can get a relationship with that person, I'll be happy. If I can go on vacation like the other people do, I'll be happy. You know what we find? We, we play this if-then game. If I can get this, then I'll be happy. If I can get that, then I'll do this. And what we find is that all the circumstances of life at best satisfy us temporarily. If you want to cultivate a royal mess in your life, you find that one or two things that you don't have and let it consume your focus. You know what happened with Ahab? Somebody told him no, and it devastated him. I want, to, I want you to know this morning that God works through closed doors just as much as He does through open doors. There's a bunch of doors on this building this morning. If God wanted us to go through a specific door, all He's got to do is go around and start closing doors behind us so that we're only left with the door that's in front of us. And I want to remind you this morning, if somebody tells you no in your life, it's okay. You're going to live. It's going to be all right. If you don't get that promotion at, job, don't, at your job, don't let it tear you up. God may have been protecting you from a mess. He may be leading you on to another door. And I want to remind you this morning, the best way that you could ever make a decision is to take both outcomes in an open hand and lift it up to the Lord and say, God, I'm indifferent to either outcome. If you say yes or you say no, I'm okay either way. I just want to do your will, God. If you just show me exactly what it is that I need in my life and you lift up your hand with, with both options there, you're getting ready to make a good decision in your life. But Ahab allowed a no to devastate him. So if you've been told no in the past couple weeks, it's going to be all right. Now, King Ahab, you can imagine nobody told him no. You imagine a soldier, as he tells him to go out to battle, and he says, I ain't going. They said, just cut his head off. That's the way he would have dealt with them. Hey, prepare me a meal. No, king. You can imagine they would have just, they would have just done away with him. Nobody told King Ahab no. He allowed a man to tell him no, and it devastated him. So if you want to cultivate a royal mess in your life, desire that one thing that you don't have and let it consume your focus. Number two, use your power and position to manipulate others to get what you want. Now, that never happens in our society, I know. I know when I was a kid, my mom was heavily involved in politics, and I got to meet some of the local politicians, state politicians. And I'll be honest with you, as a kid, I got burnt out on it because I stuffed so many envelopes. I made so many phone calls encouraging people to vote. But I got to meet some of those people that were influential in our society at that time. And I'll be honest with you, some of them wore me out. Some of them I just didn't like. Pastor Jason, you shouldn't say that. Why would I say that? Because they used their power and position to manipulate others. I've been in rooms where people have sat down and they've laid their hands on other people and they've looked and they said, you can get that done, can't you? And kind of winked at them. Manipulation. If you've ever been manipulated, it will drive you crazy. When somebody holds something over your head, it'll drive you crazy. If you want to create a royal mess in your life, then you allow God to promote you to a place of position and power, and then you use that to get what you want. Here's a king. Here's a man that's minding his own business. He's in his vineyard. He's just doing his thing. He's living life. And here comes the king, and he's going to manipulate him. Can you imagine his Naboth's in his field? He's, maybe he's trimming his vines up. Maybe he's looking at his fruit. He's talking to his sons. He's just living the dream. And here comes a man from the king. He's a courier. He says, hey, the king's coming. The king's coming to me. 
He's coming to my house? Is, it, is everything okay? Oh yeah, he's got a proposition for you. And some of y'all think, well, that wouldn't be a big deal. I can promise you today, if we loaded up Pastor Keith and Miss Tina and came to your door unannounced and rang the doorbell, some of y'all would have a heart attack in the middle of your living room. You'd be stuffing stuff underneath the beds, underneath the couches. You'd be pulling blinds shut. You'd be closing the door right behind you. Hello, Pastor Watkins. What can I help you with? That would scare you to death. But can you imagine the king coming to your household and the pressure that would be there? Can you imagine how nervous he may have felt as King Ahab standing in front of him? Here's an ordinary man, and here comes the king. Hey, you should give me your field. You should, you should give it to me. It makes sense. It's right next to the fields that I've got, and I want to turn it around. And instead of a vineyard, I want to use it for a garden of herbs. It just makes sense. Why don't you give me that? And if you won't give it to me, then I'll, I'll give you money for it, or I'll give you a better field for it. He's trying to manipulate him. If you want to create a royal mess in, in your life, focus on that one thing that you don't have, and then manipulate others to get it. Here's King Ahab, he's throwing his weight around. And he gives unsolicited pressure to Naboth. You guys realize that you can be trying to do the right thing. You can read your Bible, you can pray, you can stay away from websites you don't need to be looking at, you can run around with the right people. Did you know that evil and pressure from this world is still going to pursue you? Did you know you can be doing the right thing in the right places at the right time? And there's a reason that the Bible says that our adversary is the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. If you've ever seen a lion hunt, he doesn't just run out in the open until it's time to tackle the prey. He always crouches down, he hides in the bushes. And there's a reason that we have to be watchful because this unsolicited pressure is going to find us in this life. So if you want to create a royal mess, just use your power and position to manipulate others to get what you want. So desire that one thing that you don't have let it consume you. Number two, manipulate others around you. Number three, if you want to create a, or cultivate a royal mess, get irritated by the convictions of others. Get irritated by the convictions of others. Any of y'all know somebody that's got a stronger conviction about things than you do? Our, our brother that came and preached at the tent meeting, Pastor Kenny, he's got a stronger conviction about movie theaters than I do. He's never been to a movie theater. I'm not going to throw rocks at him. That's his conviction in his life. We know, we know people that have stronger convictions than we do. But here's King Ahab. He comes to Naboth and he asks him to do something that is strictly against the word of God. As they divvied out the land in Israel, it was to go to a certain family and that land was to stay in the family. And only under extreme circumstances was the land to be sold. And at the year of Jubilee, which was every 50 years, that land would go back to the original owner. And, and Naboth knew that if he gave his land to the king he'd never see that inheritance again. There'd be nothing to pass down to his children and to his grandchildren. And instead of taking a temporary favor and sacrificing his future, he said, no, I'm not going to do it. He lived by conviction. He didn't say, I don't want to give you the land. I don't want to help you out. But he preceded it by this statement. He said, the Lord forbid it me. He looked at God's word and he looked at this king, but he looked past that king and saw a greater king that he should obey in his life. And he said, the Lord forbid it me, I cannot give you the inheritance of my fathers. I can't go against the word of God. And he lived by conviction. I pray that in 2023, we've got some folks that live by conviction. I pray that there's some things that we're not going to compromise on. I pray that there's some things that we've drawn a line in the sand and said, we can't go there. We just can't do that. But if you want to cultivate a royal mess, you get irritated by the convictions of others. I recently read a great book on marriage called What Did You Expect by Paul David Tripp. And in this book, he highlighted that every person in here has got a kingdom that you are trying to promote. I've got a kingdom. You've got a kingdom. My wife's got a kingdom. 
He said, what my wife didn't realize is when we got married, I had a plan for my kingdom, and all she had to do was get in the car and buckle up and hold on because I had a plan for her too. And he said, there was a reason that Christ instructed us that thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Right? Because this life is not about us. We have to live by conviction. And I pray that we realize this morning that Naboth has given us a perfect example of how to live by conviction and to tell somebody even with great authority and power. He told him no. But if you want to cultivate a royal mess, get irritated by the convictions of others. You know, it's amazing that when Ahab was talking to Naboth, Naboth gave the reason he was not going to sell the vineyard. He said, the Lord forbid it me. But isn't it funny when he's talking to Jezebel in his house and he's so upset that she asked him, what's wrong with you? Well, he gives the result, but he doesn't give the reason. He said, Naboth just refused his vineyard. He left out the conviction part of it because he was irritated that Naboth was not selling the vineyard. He said, oh, he just won't sell it to me. He didn't say the reason why. If you want to get a royal mess on your hands, get irritated by the convictions of others. Number four, hang out with people more wicked than you. Oh, that's a good message for the middle school. That's a good message for the high schoolers. That's a good message for our college students. That's a good message for any of us here this morning that's still living and breathing. We better be careful who we hang out with. Because it, all we take sometimes is just a little nudge. We walk so close along the edge, if somebody just bumps us in the wrong direction, we're in a mess. So I want you to imagine this story. This is awful. How many of you like whining? Anybody like whining? Anybody have a sound app on your phone at home? We play some white noise that drives the kids crazy. We go on youth trips, and I know that we play fans, and we play ocean sounds. you got bird sounds. Anybody ever scrolled down through there and found one that says whining? You know why? We, we don't like whining. My, my wife's grandmother, she, she used to laugh at us. We taught our kids from a very early age, like as soon as they started talking, we taught them this sentence. What does whining get you? And my kids would say, nothing. And I'm like, yes, that's, that is exactly right. Whining is going to get you nothing but a spanking on the hind end, right? We don't like whining. We don't put up with whining. But you know what's even worse than a whiny child? Whiny adult. You know what, you know what we find in this story right here? It's a full-grown man. What does the Bible say? He got in his chair. He turned towards the wall. He'd eat no bread. And he's whining. Can you imagine what this looks like? This is a king. Royal robe. Maybe his royal throne. He's took and turned it towards the wall. And some of y'all thinking, I don't do that. Maybe you do silent sulking. <sighs> Can't believe it. Here comes Jezebel. It's supper time. They're ringing the dinner bell. Jezebel's like, where's Ahab at? Oh, he's up in his room. He's up in his room. Yeah, he's... You may not want to go talk to him right now. What's wrong with him? She comes in the room. Here's old Ahab sitting looking at the wall. Hey, Ahab, it's time for bread. I don't want any bread. <laughs> What's wrong? It's Naboth. I went to get the field and I offered him money. I offered him a better vineyard. And he said no. He said no. <sighs> Ahab, we got some good dinner rolls down here. We got some bread. We got some butter to put on that bread. We got some of that bread from Carabas with the oil that you can dip in it. <laughs> I don't want any bread. <sighs> you imagine this situation? Here's a grown man. A grown man. Royal robes. Royal throne. He's throwing a tantrum. 
He's throwing a tantrum. Now, if we find Ahab in this situation right here, and there's no Jezebel, maybe this is where it starts and ends. He's upset. He didn't get his way. Somebody told him no. It crushed his world. He's crying. He's sulking. He's whining. He's complaining. And maybe it ends right there. But you know what we find? Is that Ahab had married a wicked woman by the name of Jezebel. And it's hard to find it the way that it's spelled in our English Bible. But if you look at her actual name, it means a worshiper of Baal, a false idol. And if you read in the latter part of chapter 21, it says, There was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil, whom Jezebel, his wife, had stirred up. You know what happens when we hang out with people that are more wicked than us? They give us enough courage to do something stupid. There is a reason that young people need to watch who they're hanging out with. There's a reason that young married couples need to be careful who they're hanging out with. Because if we hang out with people that don't have the convictions that we do, they will push us to do things that we know are wrong in our heart. And all Ahab needed was just a little bump from Jezebel. And she said, I got it. I got it. So here's this woman. He's already been to ask for the vineyard. He said no. Should have ended right there. He's a man of conviction. He's not going against the Word of God. But here comes this wicked woman that writes letters in his name that seals them with his seal and gets a plot and says, I'll get you the vineyard. Do you read anywhere in the Bible that there's any questions between Ahab and Jezebel? How are you going to do that? He has no concern for how she's going to use his name and influence. Hmm. I want to remind you here in just a moment, we're getting ready to see the judgment that falls. Who writes the letter? Jezebel. Who seals the letter? Jezebel. Who does God hold accountable? Ahab and Jezebel. I want to remind all of you men that are here this morning that what happens in your house, whether you did it or not, God is going to hold you responsible as the man of your house. And if you want to create a cultivate a, a royal mess in your life, then you hang out with people that are more evil than you and allow them to stir up those evil desires inside of you. Boy, we better be careful. You know how many lives we get? Get one. And if we don't watch it, we will allow the evil influence of others to push us just over to the edge to where we do something crazy in our lives. Oh, this is, this is maybe one of the few times that happens in Scripture. No, we read about another man by the name of Amnon who was lovesick for his sister. And the Bible says, but Amnon had a friend, and his name was Jonadab. The Bible says that he was a crafty person. He was shrewd. He said, I've got, I'll draw up a plan for you to get what you want. And all that Amnon needed was just a little influence from Jonadab. All that Ahab needed was a little influence from Jezebel. And if you want to create a royal mess, just hang out with people more wicked than you. Number five, only follow God's word when it's convenient for you. It's amazing. We find this lady by the name of Jezebel. She doesn't care anything about God. She's been persecuting God's prophets. She's told the man of God, he said, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow, if you remember the run-in with Elijah. But now all of a sudden, she's interested in using God's word to get what she wants. If you want to cultivate a royal mess, you just use the word of God to leverage yourself into positions that you couldn't get into otherwise. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17, verse 6, it says, At the mouth of two witnesses, or three witnesses, shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. So it's amazing that when Jezebel crafted this plan, she knew that she needed at least two witnesses to create a false accusation against righteous Naboth to get him put to death. So that's what she does. She only follows God's word when it's beneficial for her. Does that 
Does that sound like something we might do in 2023? Oh God, I want you to open up the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing on me that there won't be room to receive it. But I'm not going to walk away from my lust and my fornication and the things of this world. I'm just going to pick and choose what I want to follow. And God, I just want you to bless me right where I'm at. You want to cultivate a royal mess? You just do cafeteria-style Christianity, and you take the stuff that really sounds good and makes you feel good, and you just ignore those parts that really convict you and step on your toes. If you want to cultivate a royal mess, that's what happened in this story. She said, well, it's okay to ask him to do something that is blatantly against the Word of God. Ask him to forfeit his inheritance. Oh, but we'll follow the Word of God. We need two false witnesses so we can put this man to death. He's blasphemed God and the King. For the first time in her life, she's made a statement that she cares that somebody's blasphemed God. If you want to create and cultivate a royal mess in your life, only follow God's Word when it's convenient for you. Lastly, I want you to see this morning, if you want to cultivate a royal mess, find that one thing that you don't have and let it consume you. Let it consume you. Manipulate others around you with your power and position to get what you want. Allow their convictions to drive you crazy. Hang out with people that are more wicked than you. Only follow God's Word when it's convenient. And number six, view enemies as friends and friends as enemies. In the latter part of chapter 20, we see that there's an enemy king by the name of Ben-Hadad. He's been defeated. He should have been destroyed, and they wouldn't have had to worry about him no more. But if you read in chapter 20, this man by the name of Ben-Hadad, he comes out with sackcloth on, ropes on his head, and he begs grace from King Ahab. King Ahab looks and says, oh, it's my brother, Ben-Hadad. This is an arch enemy of Israel. He calls him a friend. He's my brother. But now in chapter 21, when the man of God comes to confront him for this wicked plot that he's overseen, his wife has drawn up letters, a righteous man has died, he's going to possess the field. The man of God comes to check him and says, look, you, you may think that you got away with this, but God's seen everything that you've done. You know what he calls me? Have you found me, old mine enemy? You want to get in a mess in your life? You look at people that are really your friends? Call them enemies. You want to look at people that are really your enemies and call them your friends. You want to cultivate a royal mess, you get mixed up who's for you and who's not. See, it's amazing that the first step that we take when we head off into sin, we begin to look at people differently. Those that love us, those that care about us, those that are burdened about us, those that would love us enough to tell us, hey, I'm, I'm concerned about you, and step on our toes a little bit. Those are our friends. But it's amazing sin blinds us and we look at people that try to tell us that something's wrong and they suddenly become the enemy. I believe it was Paul that said, Am I become thine enemy because I've told you the truth? It's amazing when sin begins to work in our lives that we view enemies as friends and friends as enemies. Are you working on creating a, a royal mess this morning? I pray that we're not. So how are we going to prevent this? Just real quickly, I want to share just a few things with you. How are we going to prevent a royal mess? Number one, deal with spiritual problems at the root. Ahab had a spiritual problem. The man of God's confronted him at the end of chapter 20. He tries to subdue it with a material possession. You cannot satisfy a spiritual longing and problem with a material possession. It's not going to happen. You better come down here to the altar and say, God, I want to abide by your word. I'm coming clean. I'm sorry. God, help me to forsake my sinful living and help me to follow after you. Deal with spiritual problems at the source. Number two, don't let no's devastate you. Don't let no's devastate you. It's a part of life. You imagine what a mess you'd be in if you got told yes every time you wanted something? How many of us this morning would be married to the wrong person if the first person that we dated, we married them? Right? Amen. 
There's a reason that God closes doors and leads us in the right way so that we can get with the person that God wants us to be with. If you got every job that you applied for, you'd be miserable today. I promise you, if we got everything that we wanted when we wanted it, we'd be in a mess. Don't let no's devastate you. Number three, don't let power go to your head. If God's given you a position, God's given you a platform, don't use it to manipulate others. God has a way and a time for you to get things that you desire. Don't force doors open. It's amazing. God closes a door in our lives and we're getting a crowbar out of the toolbox. God, let me, let me come in and work. Maybe you didn't hear my prayer just a minute ago. God, I think I'm just going to try to force this door open. It's our human nature. Don't force the door open. Number four, live by conviction. Have a strong set of God-imposed rules that you follow. Live by them, die by them. Here's a man of God. He took a stand. He said, I'm not selling you my vineyard. The Lord forbid it me. You know what? He died. He died. But he died a righteous man. And here we are thousands of years later talking about his stand against a wicked king. Do what's right. What 2023 needs is not another group of young people or people that will blindly follow the latest trends but will live by the conviction of God's Word. That's what we need. You want to be different in 2023? Just stand up and say a man's a man and a, boy, and a woman's a woman and you will be different in 2023. Amen. Just live by conviction. There's some things we can't compromise on. Number four, or number five, don't allow others to stir up wickedness in you. There's a reason that we need to hang out with people that iron sharpens iron. All of us need to be challenged. Every one of us. I think we're old enough and wise enough and we have enough life experience to realize when somebody's a bad influence in our lives, their attitude is terrible, their, their bitterness is awful, their pride is awful. We don't need to hang out with those people. As adults, we don't need to hang out with those people. My wife and I have watched couples that have been thriving, have been involved in ministry, have been faithful to church, God's blessed their family, and then all of a sudden an influence from the outside comes in and the whole family is destroyed. We better watch who we hang out with. We better live with people around us that challenge us in the Word of God. Heed God's Word even when it's hard. He never said it was going to be easy. As a matter of fact, He said we'd suffer persecution. But as Naboth chose who he was going to please, I pray that at the end of the day we just please the Lord. All of us are going to choose someone that we're going to please. I'd choose the Lord if I were you. Lastly this morning, know who's for you and who's not. If someone loves you enough to tell you the truth, they're your friend. They are. You better thank God for those people. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday. We had grown up together in the youth group over at Trinity. He's talking about raising kids and how he's trying to put some guidelines in his son's life. And he said he doesn't understand sometimes. And isn't that funny? We're, we're teenagers. Our parents tell us what we need to do. Our youth pastor tells us what we need to do. Our Sunday school teachers tell us what we need to do. And we buck up against it and we say, I know better. But then we get in our 20s and we start raising our own kids and we realize that the people that tried to put guardrails in our lives loved us enough to tell us no. Thank God for people that will tell you no, that will try to put some restrictions in your life. Know who's for you, because it's important. Because if you don't watch it, the devil's going to work in your mind. He's going to make you feel like people that are trying to tell you the Word of God and the things of God are your enemy, and they're not. Know who is for you. Lastly, this morning, I want you to realize that we need to count the cost. If we could have an interview with King Ahab, maybe we could get him out of his little whiny session that he's been having, if we could have an interview with him today and say, Ahab, was it worth it? You had everything at your fingertips. 
He was king over the land. Was it worth coveting that one little field? Was it worth the murderous plot that you, that you went down that road just for that one little piece of ground? You know what he'd say to us? Stupid. I had everything at my fingertips, and I desired that one thing that I didn't have. And I stopped at nothing to get it. And I thought I knew what that field was worth. I was ready to give money to Naboth for it. But you know what it cost him? It cost him his life. It cost him his wife's life. God brought judgment on the house of Ahab because of this incident. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. How much, how much did that field, field cost uh, Ahab? Oh, it cost a lot more than I expected it to. That's the way sin always works. We think we've got it figured out in our mind. Everybody else that's committed that sin, they just weren't as smart as we are. And we're going to commit that sin. We know what the cost is. We know what the repercussions are. We're going to be okay. I want to remind you this morning that what you think that that sin's going to cost you, it's going to cost you ten times more. It is. I pray that this morning that maybe I've been used as a mouthpiece just to warn you to keep from making a royal mess in your life. God, help us to take these examples that He's given us in His Word and to avoid a royal mess. One life to live will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. I pray that we realize, I, I don't know about you, I don't want to make a royal mess in my life. After reading stories like this, accounts like this, oh God, help me just to be content with the things that I have. Help me not to have that eye that I think that the latest, greatest is going to satisfy me. It's not. You can go buy you a brand new car today and they'll probably have a recall on it tomorrow. It's not, it's not going to satisfy you. Your new phone, they've already got the new phones that are coming across from China right now. It's not going to satisfy you. It's just not. That new house that you move into, it's going to be new the day that you move in and then it's downhill from there. Your floors are going to be scuffed. Your walls are going to have dents in them. Your cabinets are going to be scratched. It's just going to satisfy temporarily. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Him that He can satisfy the longing of our souls.